Good morning and welcome to Emmett Audio. It's uh, an overcast, uh, cool but also kind of muggy kind of day. A lot of bugs out from this recent rain. And I'm wearing the 45 pound plate, which I haven't in a week or so. And it's amazing how uh, you lose perspective. You know, when I wear the plate every day for most dog walks, I just, I don't even notice it anymore. But you lose that nonchalance very quickly. Oh, and hold on. Maisie, come here. Did not mean to have your collar come off. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. Let's get you out of the road. Okay. Thank you. So, this morning I started reading The Book of Five Rings by um, uh, shoot, I've forgotten the guy's name. Uh, hold on just a second. I'm going to look it up. Uh, book of five rings. Cannot believe I forgot this guy's name. Um, Miyamoto Musashi. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, uh, who was a... F Some consider him the gr world's greatest swordsman, although it's hard to compare across times and cultures. But certainly in Japan, he was one of the greatest swordsmen ever to live. He lived in the 1600s, and... Um, and... He... Uh, fought 60 opponents and won all of his battles and was in a number of pitched battles as well. And he wrote this book when he was old and dying of probably thoracic cancer. Thoracic? Thora thoracic? I don't know. Thoracic. Sounds better. Thoracic cancer, um, they think. Uh, and it, it's a book about his about his style of using a sword but it's also a book about doing something really really well and i'm reading it because i'm find myself at this stage in my career fascinated with what it means to do something really well because i'm trying to improve my own practice of carving spoons and what I find myself focusing on is not so much the technical aspects right now it's actually more the the underlying universal principles and so I'm reading this book with the hope that it will give me some universal ideas that I can apply to my own situation. Now, the introduction to this book is what I read this morning, and it's quite enlightening. Musashi lived in the, during the middle of 
what's called the Kyoto Renaissance, which after the Warring Shoguns period was a hundred year period of relative peace in Japan, where things were united and there was a flowering of art and culture. Um, and what the translator who's writing the introduction points out is that Musashi, as well as his peers during this time period, were all, um, they were all, well, we would call them Renaissance men who had mastered several, several things. And indeed it was their understanding, their deep understanding of several things that gave them that sort of cross-pollinated their understanding of each. And one of the things that a lot of them were very good at was gardening. And that got me thinking about gardening, and because I did spend yesterday doing a bunch of gardening, and it got me thinking about what are some things that I have learned from my own gardening that are sort of universal ideas that can be applied back to anything whatever you're doing in life. And so I thought of 10 of them and I wanted to share them here. I think this might be a long episode because, well, there's 10 of them. So the first thing that I wrote down is that gardening teaches you how to make much out of little. And especially um, as you go along each year's cycle you know, you, you start with relatively little, a seed, some amendments, and you and it, you watch over the course of a season as those small beginnings grow into something much more. And often it, the garden creates a distillation of rather humble origins, right? Compost, wood chips, water and your care and attention and you get flowers and vegetables and fruits out of it so it is it is this distillation of these of these larger quantities of rather uh relatively crude things i'm not saying that what's going on in wood chips or compost, for instance, is crude. It's very complex, but you know, you get these fruits, which are like gems, these vegetables, these flowers, which are like gems. They're, they're sort of distillations of rare beauty out of this situation. And I think that that's a really helpful thing to think about in life, that understanding how these gems can come out of something that is, uh, seems inferior to that is, is a really important thing to be aware of and, and, and be cultivating. <clears throat> the second thing that gardening has taught me is that there's, you cannot substitute one-time heroic effort for a quieter, more sustained effort over time. The heroic effort for many people is, well, at least around here, 
Memorial Day weekend is traditionally the weekend when you are now frost free and most people go out and put in their garden and they have, you know, a couple hours of putting in their garden and then they don't do enough in the moment. It takes them a long time to put in their garden. They fuss over it. They, you know, they, they haven't put in a lot of effort. So it's uh, over time. So the garden is a mess. So they put in a huge amount of effort putting in the garden and then they don't sustain the effort. And so they don't have real success with their garden. And instead, the best uh, way to garden, in my experience, is to be in the garden every day and to do a little bit every day. And you'll catch things before they become a big problem. And you will, uh, you will make it so that every part of the process gets easier and easier over time instead of more difficult. And I think we, we are so tempted in life by the, the one big thing that's going to change everything, right? The big break, getting discovered. We, you know, we get fired up to exercise and we really bust it all out in one giant exercise thing and then we hurt ourselves. And instead, it's the quieter, more sustained, smaller efforts stacked up over time that actually define who we are and that lead us to a much better place in that first approach. And the third thing that Garden has taught me is the beauty of the combination of randomness and order. So right now in our garden we have poppies that have volunteered um, and they're popping up all over the place and and there's a tremendous beauty to the juxtaposition of the ordered rows of vegetables with the these poppies that are coming up where they're coming up and it the combination is better than one or the other. There are gardens where things are more random, right? Think a perennial flower garden where things are sort of planted in natural swaths. And then think, you know, strict monoculture farm fields. Those are at the two extremes. And part of the beauty of, of, a, of a beautiful garden is that you have the two combined. I would say that this is kind of like... Um, it's like loose tool marks on a form that is tightly controlled. So the form is exactly what you want to be, but the tool marks have a great deal of expression to them. And so, you know, the garden does the same thing by having... Whew, my back is sore with this pack. The garden does the same thing by having ordered rows, but then also the gardener having the wisdom to allow uh, plants to volunteer here and there and embracing them. Now thing number four is only embrace volunteers where they enhance things, right? So like I said, we have lots of poppies coming up and in the springtime, I basically left them all, but I just went and weeded out a whole bunch of poppies that were almost about to flower. First of all, because we have a lot of them. 
Second of all, because the ones that were almost about to flower that I took out were going to completely smother various plants that I wanted instead of the poppies. So it's important to be the one deciding where you're going to let things crop up on their own and to, to, to make that choice yourself. You know, life gives us unexpected opportunities, but plenty of those opportunities are actually not a good fit for us because they're going to smother other parts of our life. And it's important that we make the choice. Come on, Maisie, let's go. I don't know what's going on with you, but let's keep going. I think you're thinking that we're parked over there, but we're not, sweetie. We're parked up here. It's important that we make that choice and only allow volunteers to grow where we want them to grow, where they're, where we are okay with how they're going to affect the other intentional choices that we've made. Thing number five, understanding and working with the flow of seasons and life cycles. This is something that non-gardeners, I see missing in non-gardeners all the time, is a, a true understanding of the life cycle of something. And not much in our culture pushes back against this, right? You watch a movie or a TV show, people are interacting with a crop, right? You're watching some crime show, and they, you know, they pass by a field where they're, they're always, you know, you're only seeing a glimpse of the life cycle of a thing. And I remember as a farmer, when I became a farmer, just being amazed at the life cycle of some of these plants. Some of the things that you had to do to get plants to be the way they were, right? Like the fact that you have to cure onions. I didn't know you had to cure onions, right? And so it was... There's a granularity of knowledge that comes from deeply understanding the full cycle of a process. And when you only understand part of the process, you are missing a whole side of things. And sometimes you don't even know that you're missing it. So like in spoon carving, if you can carve a spoon, but you have not mastered how to sharpen a knife, well, then you are not in control of the, the whole cycle. You're only no part of it. And you're actually not experiencing the whole cycle of what it is to be a spoon carver. Thing number six, the balance of proactive and reactive. So in a garden, some things you've got to be proactive about, right? You've got to say, oh, I'm going to plant these things now because this is the right weather window. I'm going to water things now because they need the water. I'm going to hoe things or weed things now because it's the right time to do it. And then there are times when you need to be reactive and say, this is getting eaten by insects. I'm going to put some diatomaceous earth on it. Or this didn't work out, so I'm going to re-sow in order to make sure that I have a good crop. Or the rain washed away all this soil, so I'm going to spread some more compost on top to recover this seed. Or I'm going to hoe because things have gotten out of control. 
there's always a balance of being proactive and reactive and you always need both and that's true in life as well you've got to proactively do things and you also need to be able to see what's happening and respond with what is needed to get the desired result and if you only have one or the other it doesn't work you can be proactive and not reactive and have a lot of failure because you're not actually uh, responding to the feedback you're getting you're stuck in this vision of what you think things should be and your plan and you can be reactive but not proactive and be living in sort of panicked response mode all the time where instead of having a vision and doing a thing you're just lurching from one crisis to the next and so gardening teaches you that balance of the two and what the balance is will shift over time but it's important to be able to have both stances in life thing number seven which is about the essence of weeding talked on a little bit with the volunteers but weeding is about clearing space for what you want to grow and this is so important in life to recognize that space in your life both physical real space on in rooms and on bookshelves and and in your car but also space in terms of time in your life is what you is what is needed for things in order for them to grow now how much space something needs changes over time as things grow bigger they need more space and they will start to compete with one another for resources time money attention or if they're plants water and sunlight and soil and so when you are weeding you are making a choice a deliberate choice of this not that and it forces you to recognize that making those choices of this not that is universal in, in life and if you refuse to make that choice if you refuse to weed things out but simply accept everything as it is and don't remove things you will get a bunch of shitty little versions of the thing instead of a few grand examples of it right if you don't weed out like right now i have a spot in the garden where there's a bunch of volunteer dill coming up and there's 50 plants where i want 10. if i don't remove that 80 percent those 10 that i want to remain won't become the big booming plants that i want them to be they will never become that and so my job at this stage right there's a sort of a proactive moment to do it but really you could do it at any stage and it's better than not doing it at all is 
is to say, you know, this is the, this is what I have space for. And to be able to envision in your mind's eye what something has the chance to grow into and how you're going to need to remove things that are in, keeping it from growing into that thing as it gets bigger. Now, there's a limit, right? A plant is only gonna grow so big. And you could say, you know, if I remove every other plant in my garden for this one tomato plant, the tomato plant will grow so big it takes over the garden. That's not gonna happen. So you need to understand the nature of the thing that you're growing. And part of what makes a harmonious garden is some awareness of what is the size and scale potential of the things in your garden? What is the size and scale potential of things in your life? What do you, do you want a, a life that is dominated by one giant thing that you have cultivated to, to take over everything else, right? Not everything in your life has the ability to do that. Pushing the analogy a little bit here, right? But you know, if you are, if you have dedicated your life to a business, your business may or may not be a mighty oak that will span a huge area and take up your entire garden, take up all of your time and attention. It might be that it actually functions better as a shrub and that it has room in your life for uh, other things to grow in your life as well. It leaves room for other things to be there as well. Obviously, the, this analogy is falling apart because you can push the scale of the garden and scale of the plants in too many directions but the point is gardening helps you think about that helps you cultivate the practice of weeding things in your life so you get better at it when I help my girls clean their bedroom the other day they have gotten remarkably better at letting go of things of looking at their belongings and saying eh I don't need this I'd rather have the space in my life than this right now and valuing the possibility that the space represents is so important if you don't value it enough you will be stuck with so much stuff in your life that nothing can really grow thing number eight growth takes time this is something that we are that we almost always learn the hard way with gardens. That, you know, you plant your seedling, it's gonna take a certain amount of time before you get anything. And that's gonna depend on circumstances, what you're planting, etc. But there is a cycle and you're not gonna beat the cycle, right? You have to accept and work with the cycle. And that's part of why you you know, try to always have something cooking so that you have things growing at, that are at different stages of their growth at all times. You want to start the next thing before you need it, right? All of these things are embodied in the garden. You plant your next crop while your current crop is still maturing so that by the time your current crop is done being harvested, your next crop is ready to be harvested. It's right there in a garden, in a well-run garden. Thing number nine that gardens have taught me. To appreciate the beauty of the moment. 
for it will pass. Gardens are ephemeral things. They're never the same from one day to the next, even when the bones remain the same. They're constantly changing. You're constantly making decisions that change them. And so they're truly an embodiment of life. And their beauty reminds us to appreciate the beauty in life while we can. Hold on, we gotta deal with a passing car. Dogs on leashes, come here dogs. Stand by, please. Hold on. Hold on, dog. Alright, we'll uh, hop in. Hop in. Come on, maybe hop in. Let's go. You got it. Come on. You just went for a walk. You can do it. There you go. So. Gardens are an excellent prompt to remind you to live in the moment and appreciate today. And if you are a good gardener, there is much to be appreciated in any day, in any given time of the year. Gardens are not just beautiful at one time of year. If done well, they're beautiful for much of the year. And how you get them to be beautiful at different times of year is part of the gardening art. And so part of what you are trying to master is how to have things be beautiful and, and full of appreciation, even when they're not in their sort of full flowering of potential, right? We, we always think of a garden as being like at the peak of what it is, but actually some of my favorite moments in the garden are moments that are not that sort of peak summer, garden and that's because I've been gardening for long enough now that I actually appreciate the subtlety say of the garden in midwinter when you have a row of spinach under cover and it feels so precious and like such a miracle against the snow or the beauty of a garden in the springtime when things are just starting to wake up and your winter crops are fully flourishing because the light is back and you have things to eat even before you can sow things in the ground. There are ways that the garden teaches you to appreciate all the different parts of it and thus all the different parts of your life. And the final thing that the garden, the final of these 10 things, I'm sure there's many things, that the garden teaches me is that Gardens that are truly amazing and special and, and that have some quality to them that you can't even put your finger on are almost always the result of multiple years of effort. Quiet, sustained effort, like I talked about at the beginning. That is working a partnership between the plants and the human. And you cannot create something like that in a single year. That there are many of the most beautiful things in life require years of dedication to manifest. You know, that might be 
Well, for instance, our apple trees are becoming more beautiful each year as they grow up, right? But a couple years ago, they were just a couple thin whips stuck into the ground with a bunch of mulch around them. And now they're maturing into young apple trees with this beautiful carpet of mint underneath them that we've cultivated. And the mint has taken years to spread and we've carefully weeded out most of the things that are, were competing with the mint and the apples are becoming more beautiful and complex as they age. You don't get that immediately. You cannot create that immediately. And then, you know, as the apples get bigger and bigger and the thoughtfulness of their placement will come to come to be apparent where they will arch over the path down to the down to the barn and that will create this magical space underneath them and it will continue to become more beautiful and complex over time uh, as long as they are continued to be tended but there are many things in life that uh, are the result of multiple years of devotion and we would do well to be careful about abandoning those things in pursuit of something new because you're not going to get the complexity and the nuance and the beauty of something that has grown to be that beautiful over time in the new. There, The new has a certain excitement to it, right? You sense with the new all the possibility of the future, but it's the possibility of the future. The thing that you're excited about the future is, is as though you did everything right. And in many instances, we would simply be, we, we would have better results from simply putting in the appropriate effort to what we already have than to raising it to the ground and telling ourselves that if we started with a blank slate that we would be better off, right? If you took a bulldozer to a field of, uh, to an apple orchard, telling yourself, you know, this this field of apple trees is, you know, it's been too neglected, right? Let's say it's all overgrown with weeds and stuff, right? Thickets and all that, right? It's too neglected, easier to start with a blank slate and new trees. and. Perhaps that's true, but in many instances in my own life, what I've found is that there is so much beauty in things that have taken time to develop and grow uh, that it is worth taking the time to clear back the things that have been neglected and try to manifest the best possible version of what is there, right? Clear out the brush prune the trees, see what you've got, see how beautiful it can become before you decide to replace it. Now obviously a garden, much of a garden is an annual thing and so you can tell yourself, oh, you know, uh, what does it matter? But actually, uh, groundhog with two baby groundhogs, far enough away from our house that it won't bother us. Very cute. You know, a garden, despite, um, the plants, many of the plants being annual, and let's just let's just leave it at that. Like a garden is its soil. It's uh, it's the volunteer plants whose seeds are in the seed bank. It's the it's you know how good is the soil? How many weed seeds are in the soil? How you know 
how well thought out is it? How well is it integrated into the rest of the space? Like the, if we extend the garden to not just consider the plot of ground that's growing vegetables, but sort of the whole area surrounding a house, like the beauty and grace of such a garden takes time to develop. And, and when done well, it can resist a fair deal of neglect and still bounce back. Um, that's one of the things that I think about a lot in terms of our physical garden and how to create systems that will be beautiful but will also be easy to maintain. Um, but even the just the straight up annual portion of the garden, I could not take some random lawn and recreate in a year what I have in our garden that I've now been tending for eight years. It, it is more complex than that. And, and I think much of life is that way. The things that we have been tending for years are the result of those years. And that includes ourselves. And, and I think we would do well to remember that the allure of the new gets its its appeal from the dream of what is possible with it. But you're actually closer to what is possible with something that has been around a while and has had a chance to mature into something that you then work with to reach as much of its potential as you can. That's it for now. Thank you for listening, and uh, talk tomorrow.